You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the Speaking to Influence podcast. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice, and founder of Vocal Impact Productions. My guest today is Eric Griffin, serial entrepreneur, co-founder of Mobile Outfitters, a five-time Inc. 5000 mobile accessory company, Paw 5, an award-winning pet products company, and GSW Real Estate, an apartment investment and management company. Like I said, serial entrepreneur in all different directions. So Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Laura. Let me ask you one question that has nothing to do with your current businesses. Sure. If you could do anything for a day, what would it be? Regardless of skills, training, experience, what would you do? Interesting question. So I really love to eat and I love to cook because I like to eat what I cook. And I've had enough friends tell me, you know, don't open a restaurant. It's really long hours, seven days a week, grueling business. But I would love just for the day to play the part, maybe have a two or 300 person party and be the one making the food, hosting and serving people. It just brings me a lot of joy to feed people. I couldn't agree more. And along with not wanting to open a restaurant, God bless those who do. We thank them very much. Yes, we do. (laughs) Take the joy out of it for me, for sure. I'd much rather eat there. So back to entrepreneurship and influence. In your current role, heading up all these different companies and especially mobile outfitters, let's put this into context for everybody. Mobile Outfitters has over 800 independently owned retail locations in 55 countries. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. So this is not a little local business by any stretch of the imagination. So bearing that in mind, who do you need to influence and how might that be different in this company and in this context versus someplace else? Sure. So I think all leaders have a great responsibility of influence on not only their staff, but in a role like mine with entrepreneurs. So these independently owned retail locations that span a whole bunch of countries and cultures, I get the pleasure of leading a bunch of entrepreneurs, which is really interesting for me. It's would be lying if I didn't say it was a challenge because entrepreneurs like to break the rules. That's what makes them entrepreneurs. And learning the ways to influence them and the blend of their idea and your idea to create a new idea that everyone's bought into has been something that I've learned over the years to do. And I think really is different than any other role I've ever had in my life. And you mentioned the intercultural piece, 55 different countries. There has to be a lot of uh, challenges along the way as far as how you engage with an entrepreneur what's required both from a legal perspective as well as a financial perspective and a mindset perspective. Uh, Was that what you anticipated? You know, I don't think I anticipated anything. So I just kind of dove in the pool like a lot of entrepreneurs. You know, you you find yourself in business in Dubai one day and you start learning what that means and how to do it. Uh, So I guess it caught us by surprise, but by the same token, when you're in the pool, you learn how to swim pretty quickly. And, you know, when you have partners like we have, they're just as willing to teach you or show you what you don't know. As long as you're willing to listen and learn, it kind of comes with the job and you learn it bit by bit. So along those lines, what is one specific communication skill area that you had to develop in order to be more effective, especially with that now global reach? Yeah, you know, I think 
entrepreneurs are problem solvers at heart. You see a problem, you just want to fix it and figure out a new way to fix it. That's where your business comes from. So the temptation to jump in when someone's talking with an answer, when someone's speaking and thinking in your head already of what you're going to say next as they're still explaining what they're trying to explain. For me, that was a real challenge in my 20s. That's how my brain worked. And learning how to truly actively listen, meaning listening to someone without thinking about what I'm going to say or do, it took a long time. And it's, it's still something I have to work on every day. But I think it's the biggest and best skill that I've built in my career, just to listen, to truly be there in the moment with someone, listening to them and collecting my thoughts after they're done speaking with me. It's what I often refer to as the distinction between listening to respond and listening to understand which is your real focus in the moment. Of course, you want to respond eventually, but if we skip that interim piece, it gets more difficult to really have that connection with people. I feel like it, when I listen to or watch some people in conversation, I almost can imagine in their brains, it's like watching double Dutch jump roping where they're looking at the other person's mouth and they're just seeing those ropes turning and turning and turning and all they're waiting for is their chance to jump in. Yeah. They're not really listening to the rhythm involved. Yeah. So then with that along those lines, or perhaps a different one, what's a lesson you had to learn the hard way? So aside from the act of listening, where you're solving someone's problem before you even understand it, and so you're yeah. not solving the right problem, or you're not being helpful at all. Another, I guess, that piggybacks on that is entrepreneurs have this, and myself, have this tendency to just jump right in and take it all on themselves. And that you go into a vacuum, do all the work, and then ta-da, you know, come out with the answer without getting the input from all the people that that's going to affect, you know, without collaborating on, you know, maybe other people have better ideas or are seeing sides of this thing that you can't see yourself. And, you know, learning that, you know, when you're a one person operation, which every business starts with someone, you can do that because it is just you. And then when it's two people, you all know each other and everything going on every day. But then when it's 10, 15, 20, 30, 100 people, you can't do that anymore. And making that transition as an entrepreneur to figure out who it's going to affect, collaborate, get the ideas before you start making decisions or going down a road and not faking it, like having an agenda and then going into a meeting to collaborate just to steer them back to your original idea. It's really hard. You know, It's our nature to just start solving, start getting stuff done. And for me, I had to learn that for sure the hard way. Was there an example of someplace where you really wish you could go back and do it over? So when we rolled out some software at the company that integrated with other software, I'm kind of a de facto tech guy for those internal projects. And I didn't talk to anybody. You know, I was like, okay, I understand the system. And now it's going to talk to the finance component and the sales component and the shipping component. And I built this whole thing. I wrote this whole email. Step one, step two, step three. Here's how we do the process. Rolled it out. And then immediately someone in finance is like, that's not how we work anymore. We don't invoice that way anymore. It's like, you know, if I just want to ask people, is this still how we do it? If I did this, how would it affect your day? I wouldn't have had to then undo all the work I just did to do it again. So, I mean, I have countless stories of the same principle. You, you never have all the information <laughs> yourself. You have to ask people and learn what their world is like. You can't just assume and make decisions. And to your point, just because you've quote unquote learned the lesson and in theory, you know what you're supposed to do. Old habits die hard. It's hard to, yes, to they do. actually execute those lessons and remind yourself over and over, no, you have to do it this new way. Yep, that's right. And then we 
want to beat ourselves over the head sometimes with going, I can't believe I did it again. (laughs) Yeah. So then what's the next big goal for you? And what communication skills would you need to develop to reach that goal? And it could be with mobile outfitters or otherwise. Yeah, I think I'm still on the journey of truly being a collaborator at heart. I really am a doer at heart. I love to just jump in and do things and see the result. You know, I can directly see my input and the output. So this need to collaborate is an ongoing process for me still. And there's a quote that I love so much that actually for the holidays, my staff printed this picture of all of us and then put this quote on it because they know how much I like it. But it's, if you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, go together. Yes. And I think why I love that quote so much is you do go really fast alone and you feel like you're making more progress than if you brought other people along. And so there's this weird, you know, you're getting that sense of satisfaction right away. And there's this weird thing going on in the background that you're actually going to peter out. Whereas if you just took the time, you know, to sharpen your saw before you started cutting, you would have gotten that much further in the end. So that is a big goal for me to just continue to weave collaboration into virtually everything that I do and get the inputs out from people earlier and earlier in the process. I'm still not, uh, I can't claim to be any good at that. It's something I'm continually working on. Sure, sure. I think that's an African proverb, if I remember correctly. It is. That's right. Yeah, it is. So we figured this out a long time ago. This is not like a new concept, (laughs) right? Well, we somebody figured it out a long time ago. It takes the rest of us a little while to catch up. That's that's right. always the challenge. Right. And right back to knowing versus being able to actually implement and apply it on command. Yeah, it's true. So from there, it's time for our listener 24-hour influence challenge. Given all the stories you've been telling and those the, the challenges that you've experienced, things you've had to learn along the way, What's one step that you'd like our listeners to take and be able to complete? So just a single step in the next 24 hours to help them have greater influence. So I bring it back to active listening because that's the root. You can't be a collaborator if you don't first listen. So for me and my personal experience, learning to listen is step one. So the way I did it, I actually did this challenge. So, but it was, you know, every day. So I would challenge everyone to do this. Pick one person. Ideally, someone you communicate with all the time, maybe it's a significant other spouse, pick that person and challenge yourself to actively listen for 24 hours to that person. Don't interrupt them. Don't start thinking things when they're talking. If you do, it's okay. It's like a meditation. Just catch yourself and let it go and start listening again. And if you want to take it one step further, practice mirroring, mirror back to someone what they said to you to make sure you heard them right. And if you didn't hear them right, have them tell you again and listen again. And even after just 24 hours, you can make tremendous progress. At least you understand what it feels like to actively listen. And then you can hone the skill of doing it regularly. I can imagine a whole bunch of people just went, oh, I'm hearing my spouse come through that. I'm hearing my kids. Oh, not you too, Eric. Yes. Yep. There's, this is an incredibly important skill set. And I've said from the beginning that everything I work on with my clients, coaching and training, these are skills that are just as relevant in personal relationships as in professional ones. It's not like, well, only people who you pay want you to listen to them or only people who you, all that kind of If you can learn it in one context, you can apply it in the other. So I I think that's terrific. Yeah, cool. Then our next stage is moving on to not just looking at your own experiences, but how you guide others on the journey. So whether it's with regard to your licensees or your employees or other people that 
are under your umbrella, who you are leading, who you're guiding along the way. Let's talk for a minute about the concept of executive presence. Sometimes it's referred to as leadership presence or as command presence, that little X factor that makes people really just look at you or listen to you and say, well, that's a leader. How do you define it and or how would you evaluate it in others? So I think a lot of people, when you say the word leader, they think of like a strong character, you know, rolling in on a horse with all the answers. You know, when when no one knows what to do, they say, don't worry, I know exactly what to do. Just do this. And, and I think a lot of bosses operate that way, unfortunately. For me, it's sort of the opposite. You know, I think there's like sleeper leaders that when you first meet them, you're almost thinking, I know this person has done a lot in their life, but I'm just not getting it. I'm not seeing it. Or they don't seem that smart. When I see those people, I kind of look and say, you know, I bet they're a lot smarter than they come off as. So there's really two things wrapped up in that. One is to be a forever learner, you know, to truly admit you don't know it all and you never will. And you're always learning, which I think comes from just being humble and saying, you know, whatever room I'm walking into, I'm not the smartest person in the room. I'm not the most accomplished person in the room. I'm just another person. And I might know about certain things, but there's a whole bunch of other things I don't know about that that person over there probably knows about. For me, you're not a leader if you don't do those things. So if you're talking about all the things you did and you accomplished and this, I almost write you off as, you know, maybe none of that's true. That's why I feel the need to say it. Mm -hmm. That uh, methinks he doth protest, or at least methinks he doth self-promote too much. That's exactly right. Then if you're grooming somebody for uh, maybe an, but an employee for a higher level position, or if you're evaluating a potential licensee, somebody else who wants to run a mobile outfitter um, outlet, then what are some of the most important communication skills that you look for in them when making that decision? So I look for, it's, it's almost applying the same concept to that. You know, I look for someone that is a learner that doesn't come through the gate saying, I know you said to do it this way, but I am going to do it this way, or I'm telling you this is better having never done that thing before. You know, this is just mm -hmm. now an opinion. So that attitude of my opinion is a fact and you're going to do that, um, you know, indicates to me they're not a learner. I'm okay if someone wants to learn what's been done and then challenge it. I am all for challenging the status quo. That's how we make progress. But you can't start poking holes in something before you even know what it is. So that's, for me, definitely a red flag when I see it. And again, you know, being humble and I don't need to know all the things you've done. If we're going to embark on a new thing, none of that's really relevant. Let's just talk about how we can make the thing we're working on a success. And so you're know, being humble and being willing to say, you know, we think we know what to do, but maybe we're wrong and maybe we don't know. Why don't we use some data to find out, not just, you know, some strong opinions and start swinging. <laughs> I look for those things because they can be real challenging down the road, even if those guesses work out and start to seem like they're validating. It can be a real challenge down the road to manage that kind of attitude. Right, right. It's good to have that kind of instinct, but when instinct turns to ego, it can make for difficult partnerships, to say the least. Yeah. Then what about the other side? In, in managing up, you have your employees who have to report up to you. You have your licensees who have to report back to you, whether it's monthly, quarterly, annual, or other momentary updates for that matter. But when these people who you are supervising, who you oversee, have to present information to you, what's something that you wish they would all do more or less of? You know, bringing someone your problem, you know, whether it is a master licensee or an employee, everyone's got problems throughout their day. Sure. 
And a lot of people want answers to their problems. And there's credit in that. But if someone comes to me and says, you know, here's my problem, all they've done is made their problem my problem. And as a problem solver at heart, I really love to fix those problems. But if I do, now I'm just the way they get their answers. And they can't think for themselves and make decisions for themselves because the way they get their answers is they go ask somebody else. So, you know, I think in managing up, there's nothing more valuable to me than someone coming to me and saying, I had this problem. I thought about it or I talked to some people. I thought of these three things. I recommend this one of them. And here's why. And if you break that apart and you only do some of those different things, it's not effective. You can't just say, I have a problem and I want to do this because I don't have the information to tell you if that might be a good idea or not. Just do it, you know, if that's what you're going to come with. And it's not enough to just say, I have these three options because I can't help you make a decision on which one might be best. But if you give me the full context and what you're thinking, and if you're leaning towards one, why? And what might not work out if we do that? And what might work out if we do that? What are the pros and cons? Then we can have a constructive conversation about, okay, let's pick one and decide which one might be the right path together. You know, I can offer, maybe I have experiences that they don't know about that can help them make that decision. So that would be my one recommendation for anyone you're going to for advice or to help you with a problem. If you do that, you will get to the answer a lot faster and you'll enable them to help you a lot more. So to help them identify the nature of the problem, what kind of help they want in in solution, and then make sure that they've done all the legwork in advance to provide you with all the information you would need to be able to help them figure out, make the best decision. Did I get that right? Exactly. And if you don't know how to do that, before you walk into that room to ask someone, just ask yourself, if I had never seen this before, would I be able to help in this situation with the information I'm about to present? And if the answer is no, then just keep working on it till you have something you can give someone that knows nothing about it. I think that's always a big challenge, figuring out how much data, how much detail the other person is going to need, because you don't want to drown them in a bunch of extraneous material, but they need enough. Yeah. So being selective in what's important and not just relevant information to help you help them, a little Jerry Maguire in there. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if you don't mind me expanding on it a little bit, I agree with you that, that that's a challenge because it's equally frustrating for you to just give me step-by-step step every single thing you did. I'll just do it myself. You know, there's no point in rehashing everything, right? So there is a dance there. And I think it's up to both parts of this, you know, both people involved in this conversation to express what's too much or too little. So you might come with too much information, but if the person you're telling it to doesn't give you feedback saying, hey, next time I don't need to see all these things, that's too much. I just want to see A, B, and C. Then you've got to listen to that, adapt, and come back with it again. Eventually you'll figure out, because every two people have a different way of communicating to be effective. So you've, you've just got to kind of take a guess but provide feedback in order to get better at it. Know your audience. Know your audience, for sure. For sure. Okay. Then this brings us to the last section of the interview, which is the speed round. And these are some of the most common themes and challenges that clients bring to me that I hear about in in coaching and training and even in speaking engagements. But so many people tend to feel like, oh, it's just me, that they're the only ones who struggle with this. And it almost becomes an excuse, like they're genetically incapable, so they don't need to worry about changing or, or couldn't if they wanted to. And in changing, I mean developing and, and expanding their, their skill set. So briefly, in a single word or short phrase, where do you land on each of these issues? And then I'll ask you for a little bit of insight or advice 
to give to others who follow in those same tendencies. Sure. So number one, public speaking, love it or hate it? I love it. Where do you, yeah? Yeah. What do you love about it? I just love inspiring people. I love just speaking from my experience or, you know, showing some, I'm a visual person. I like showing visuals and just getting people super excited or motivated or into whatever it is I'm passionate about. I really enjoy doing that. So when you have to speak in front of a large group, do you still get a little butterfly? 99% of the time, no. Every okay. so often, I can't explain why, yes, but for the most part, I've, I've done it enough that I've learned to not try and memorize everything, not worry if I mess up, you know, not worry if a joke doesn't land. You just keep moving. Everybody messes up. I think that's a great piece of advice, just recognizing that everybody messes up and that's okay. There's a difference between a love and, and a massive blunder, but nevertheless, we certainly want to just be able to move on and roll with it. Yeah, yeah. Now, what about the, and I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway, introvert or extrovert? So I'm an introvert at heart. I don't know if that was your guess, because most people guess that I'm an extrovert because I do like the public speaking and everything, but it, it really does drain my energy. You know, when I have to visit, I'll do a several country tour with my master licensees and I have to sort of entertain for weeks on end. You know, it's, for me, it's exhausting. It's not the kind of thing that gives me energy. I love it. That doesn't mean I don't like it, but it is just exhausting and it's not my natural self. My natural self is just to kind of be alone. I'm happy with myself, by myself, you know, with my own thoughts. So that's truly that hard. I'm an introvert. See, I love that you just gave all of those examples as one combination in the single person because so many people feel like, oh, I'm an introvert and that's why I'm not a good public speaker. That's why I'll never be good at this or why I don't have to get good. And you can see there's no correlation between the two. But frankly, for the, the example that you gave with those world tours, I'm an extrovert. That schedule would be exhausting, I think, for just about anybody by the end. You just <laughs> want to go home and put your fingers in your ears and just hear nothing. <laughs> after a while, even I would need some downtime by myself to recharge batteries after a whirlwind tour like that. Uh, yeah. But I love that that's your, your natural combination because it's so counterintuitive to most people out there. So if you are an introvert, then what do you think is one related strength to being an introvert? And then what's an area that you still need to work on because of it? So in terms of a strength, one of the things that I'm just sort of have a natural knack for is understanding what someone else is going to think or feel or want in a situation. So, you know, whatever it is, if we're inventing a product, my role is typically to anticipate. I don't use focus groups. I don't believe in them. I think you just get death by a thousand cuts in the product. Everyone tries to make it normal and familiar, and then you just get this dull thing. So I don't like, you know, getting into that part of the process for product design, but I can sort of become a customer and think, okay, when they feel it, what are they going to think? What would they want it to do? What's going to annoy them? What is something that no other product does that annoys me that I think should be a feature? So I call it user experience. I like getting in the mindset of other people and looking at it through their lens and then providing that feedback to the team without having to go out to hundred people and have them get over critical and, you know, give a bunch of feedback that they don't really think they're just saying it because they're asked an opinion. So I love that. I really love that. I'm just kind of naturally good at that. In terms of growth, I do come back. I don't mean to harp on the same thing, but collaboration for me, you know, maybe it is because I feel that I can see other people's side kind of instinctively. Maybe never thought about it before, but maybe that fights against this other side, which is you, you need to collaborate with people. You need to get their input first. But it is an area of growth for me and something I'm continually working on. Makes sense. Everything comes back full circle again. Now you start to see where bits and pieces are all intertwined. It, nothing happens in a vacuum. Yeah. 
then my last question is with regard to the fun topic of conflict. And we're all wired to either engage and go into fight or flight or freeze. We have a natural tendency, but we have to learn to compensate sometimes in other directions. With regard to conflict, what's your natural instinct? Fight, flight, freeze, or something else? Mine is freeze for sure. Partly because I believe in sleeping on it and a lot of things will just work themselves out. You don't need to engage at all. They just go away. And so I've seen freeze pay out. It's not the not necessarily the right response, but I've seen it pay out enough. And it is my instinct that I definitely, that's my go-to. And then from there, when that's not always an option, what piece of advice would you give to people who also have that freeze first instinct about how to work through it? So I've definitely developed a little trick for myself to compensate for the freeze instinct. So my advice is just to blurt it out. So whether that's sending an email, even if it's not the full conversation, you just put it in an email. Or if you're having a difficult conversation with someone, just open with the thing. You know, for example, if we're terminating an employee, that's always a difficult conversation. It's nothing I ever have enjoyed doing. I'm not going to dance around it for 30 minutes and give myself an out or give myself the ability to maybe not go through with it, that conversation. Just enter the conversation and tell them immediately, this is why we're here. Now there's no getting out of it and you've got to work through it. <laughs> so I like to just commit myself and put my feet in the pool so that there's no way to you know, convince myself maybe now is not a good time. There's never a good time. Just blurt it out, get it out of the way, and then you can work through it. Are you familiar with Mel Robbins' work in the five-second rule? No. It's a great one. Check, check out her TED Talk. It is um, one of the most watched out there, but her whole premise and her whole empire is based around the notion of the five-second rule, something you don't want to do, whether it's getting out of bed and not hitting snooze or going to the gym or having this conversation, et cetera. Count to five and then just make yourself go and do it. Don't allow yourself to sit there and hem and haw because you'll just talk yourself out of it. So rip the Band-Aid off and go. I'm a firm believer in that. You know, there's say there are big things that I don't want to do or it's easy to procrastinate. Another trick I have is I just commit myself. So if it's like a big race, I'll just sign up before I've even thought if I can do it or not. Because if I've signed up, I'm doing it. I'm not backing out of it. Right. Or I tell all my friends I'm doing it. Hey, I'm doing this triathlon. I'm doing this triathlon. Well, now everyone knows you're doing it. So if you don't do it, there's accountability. When you keep it to yourself, you can just not do it and there's no one there to yell at you. So yeah, those tricks help tremendously, you know, sort of help evolve our instincts to be better people. External accountability is a big one for me. And it's one of the challenges of being an entrepreneur, right? There's nobody to uh, hold you accountable sometimes. So you just have to tell somebody else you're going to do it. And then you don't want to tell them that you flaked exactly right. Integrity piece. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Eric, for joining us today. How can people learn more about you and Mobile Outfitters? Yeah, so check out moutfitters.com or you can Google Mobile Outfitters and we'll pop right up and it'd be awesome if you check us out. And we'll have all of this in the show notes. And you said it's moutfitters.com, right? That's right. Okay, so nice little abbreviation there. With that, remember everybody else, if you want to download our quick start guide to mastering the three C's, command the room, connect with the audience and close the deal, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you are listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Tune in next time. 
Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sacola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.